A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Ars Blog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Not going to spend any time on an intro today. No waffle, no blathering, no nonsense. Just going to get straight into it because this is a post-Villa podcast. Just a bit of waffle, a bit of a, a chat about what went on last night at Villa Park and some of the wider issues that we saw last night and that we've seen throughout the season. With me to have a chat about all that. It's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello. You give me the sexy jobs. Yeah, that's it. We don't have an Arscast Extra today because James is off with his with his other podcast. But that's fine. Ah. That's fine. And I'm not saying that you're just like second choice or, you know, third backup or anything like that. You're not the Matt Macy of the podcast. It's just it's just the way these that's things all right. go. That's all right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're my second podcast in 24 hours too, so. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're backing up each other here. That's fine. Uh, if you don't know already, Andrew does a podcast called Left Field, the Left Field podcast. So do check that out. We, though, have got to talk about this game against um, Aston Villa, a game which Arsenal needed to win, Andrew, in order to keep any slim hope of finishing in the European places alive. Uh, that was extinguished last night by one single goal by Trezeguet. I looked up his first name, and he's, he just goes by Trezeguet in general. I saw I saw. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite cool. It's an ambitious father for you, isn't it? Well, that's it. Don't worry about any of these trifling first names. Just call me Trezeguet. Um, Let's talk about the team and the team selection and everything else that that Mikel Arteta uh, put out there last night. It was expected, of course, that he was going to rotate. There was a lot of effort and endeavor and physical... um, uh, hard work went into the Liverpool game, went into the Man City game as well. So it was inevitable that he was going to make some changes. The first thing that strikes me about the team selection that he put out last night is that Mikel Arteta really does not like Socrates. Yeah, true. I don't know whether they've had a conversation at some point and 
the situation's been explained to him. But, I mean, he's had not a look in at all, has he, since the restart? Yeah. Um, uh, really interesting. But at the same time, always makes the squad. So you get the feeling that he respects his professionalism. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, we've talked on the podcast um, over the last number of weeks about Kalasinac and, and the sort of player that he is and the sort of player that he is in a system like this. And it just strikes me that, you know, if, if, you, if you're playing a back three against a team like Villa and you do need to be proactive and you need to have a lot of the ball and you need to be a bit more ambitious with the way that you play, you know, Socrates on the right-hand side of the uh, back three and Rob Holding on the left-hand side of the back three where he's very comfortable and, you know, he is better on the ball than Kalasinac seems like a reasonable uh, way to set your team up but for some reason he's he's just not interested in doing that um I, like I don't know how you expect to play proper football with Kalasinac in your team it, I mean it was a it, it was a very frustrating watching Kalasinac because I know and I saw lots of people remarking on it he does do a lot of the kind of get the ball and more automatically kind of look for the sideways slash backwards pass but I mm. looked at his stats today he made 13 out of 16 passes in the final third last night and mm. was second only behind Ceballos on that front. Wow. So, weirdly, he actually did kind of try and partake in, you know, a push up the field. But I just don't understand if that was the responsibility you were going to give him, why you'd necessarily give it to Kalasinac yeah. of everybody in the team. Um, most of those passes, I'm just looking at it here, most of those passes came in the second half when he was, A, pushed wider at the start of yeah. the second half. And then, of course, when we were uh, we went to a back four and used him as a central defender, um, you know, we had so much of the ball, we were camped in their half that he, he actually got forward quite well a few times. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I... <clears throat> I could understand Kalasnac coming back into the team, given that you know Arteta's obviously played in there on the left side of that three-man defence quite a few times. And I guess in the second half, he might have known that if we were chasing the game, that you could kind of use him as an attacking outlet, potentially. Um, but it just didn't work. It was just very ponderous last night across the pitch. Mm. Um, you know, I looked at the team, and it felt very much like they sometimes get on the ball and they first have to process what it is they're supposed to be remembering the game plan is and then they go and make the pass mm. and they don't necessarily always seem to be able to kind of do two things at once so they make the pass and they stand still and there's yeah. a lot of that last night not enough movement no, a massive problem I mean, there were six changes, so you know there were there were fresh legs in there. But there is a difference, of course, between fresh legs and quality legs and and players who are who are capable of of Im- influencing games in in positive ways. And I just sort of want to say here that you know what we saw last night really wasn't a huge surprise. It's obviously disappointing and frustrating when we lose, but we've seen this throughout this season, and it just shows you, I think, that there are fundamental issues with the with the squad and the team and the players that we have to to pick in certain areas but you know when you do bring in six fresh legs or 12 fresh legs I should say you know you're looking for the team to be a bit more energetic a bit more proactive and I think what was obvious to me was that Danny Ceballos who played um, did he play the full game against Man City or maybe he came off very late um, he was the most energetic the most driven Arsenal player on that pitch and part of that of course was because he had a lot of responsibility in that midfield area to try and connect uh, with with the front players and to try and be creative Uh, and we'll talk about creativity now I'm sure but but it just felt very sluggish very lethargic as if the 11 players who were out there last night had done the whole game against City yeah I mean he ran himself into the ground and I think by the last 15 minutes you could see he was 
absolutely gone. That attempted challenge on Grealish just before Grealish set up. Mm. Um, I can't remember which Davis, player it I was, think. the Villa player. Was it? Um, who went through on goal. Mm. Yeah, Keenan Davis. Um, you know, that was a kind of real, like, I'm knackered, I'm just going to try and take the player out kind of challenge. Um, I can't really fault Ceballos. I think he did what we've expected of him and more um, last night. Oh, yeah, night. sure. Um, I think Torreira didn't have a great game. And I've noticed, you know, obviously Arteta made the very quick decision at half-time to withdraw him. I think more than anything else, because players were kind of getting past Torreira and he was being forced into desperate challenges. He'd already been booked and Arteta's so wary of us going down to 10 men in games. Mm. I think that may have played a factor in Luis going off as well because he'd obviously got himself riled up with the linesman over something. Um, so there were kind of changes there that he made. I'm not sure necessarily first and foremost for tactical reasons. I think it was a sort of tactical, but also a fear of just going down to 10 men. Mm. Um, I didn't really... I didn't really fancy Nketiah on the right. I mean, do you think that selection, obviously it's not where he plays and it's not where he's no. best, um, but we we didn't have Reese Nelson, um, who picked up a groin strain. I don't know how late that groin strain came, you know, in terms of making plans for this particular game, but it didn't feel at all like a balanced front three, did it, with... Um, mm with uh, Nketiah, Lacazette and Aubameyang? Really didn't. Um, Eddie's kind of natural kind of inclination is to, to move inside and where you might have wanted to help out Cedric a little bit more with one-twos around the edge of the box. As soon as Cedric then put a ball in, you found him kind of putting the ball into a central defensive partnership and mm. had no problem with dealing with just Lacazette. It just didn't quite seem to be the right balance. I thought... Bamiang looked really knackered. I don't want to accuse him of not trying, but there was a certain moment in the first half where a couple of challenges went in, and I think if that had been a really like, if that had been an FA Cup final, he might have really gone for it. But there mm. was a certain amount of pulling out, perhaps with one eye on a final. Um, didn't really, they just didn't click. They didn't get going. There was no energy. Um, there didn't seem to be any kind of real like any single player being particularly vocal on the pitch in the way that maybe we'd seen at the weekend. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that we had to go from a, a game where we'd been completely dominated and our task was very simple. Just do not concede to, in this case, do not concede and you need to go and, you know, be, you know, what's the word that Emery used to always use? Um, started with a P. Anyway, be proactive, basically. Yeah. We really struggled there. We really, really struggled last night. And look, we, we've we all seen the kind of the pass maps and where that big empty blob is in the middle of the pitch just in front of the opposition penalty area. Yeah. Um, that's been a massive problem now for two seasons. Yes. I mean, it is clearly an issue that uh, Arteta is aware of as well. It's an issue... Um, you know, that he referenced after the game. Um, I don't want to necessarily talk too much about a player who, who wasn't part of it or anything else, but but the conversation happens. Every time something like mm. this goes on, we have to have, or we, we, we're reminded of the existence of Mesut Ozil uh, by players, or by fans rather, who, who will sort of advocate for him to be 
that guy, to be that missing link, to be the creative hub of the team. And the stat going around, of course, is that, you know, despite the fact he hasn't played since March, Mesut Ozil has created more chances in the Premier League than anyone else in this Arsenal team, which, of course, is remarkable. And you can look at it two ways, I suppose. One is that um, it, it might underline the importance of, of Mesut Ozil, if that's the way you want to look at it. The other is that it really, really, really hammers home the dearth of creativity anywhere else in the squad. Yeah. I mean, I guess we became a bit Ozil-reliant once upon a time, but at least at the time, Ozil had loads of other players around him who could create chances, right? And now we've kind of moved away from Ozil being the central person and just not replaced him at all. I feel like if you're going to use Ozil, though, you kind of need to build everything around him. Mm. And I think maybe Arteta was tempted by that when he first came in. You know, he obviously gave the German loads of opportunities to play football and there were some half-decent performances there. But at some point, you know, whether it was during the lockdown or just after the lockdown or whatever you he decided that he's not going to play him. And I think maybe that's a sort of one eye on the future thing. What's the point in putting Ozil in now if I don't see him being part of this solution in the long term? Um, yeah. It obviously is causing problems. I mean, you, you can't deny that not having his creativity to hand is not useful, especially even off the bench. I, I It's frustrating. What what frustrates you most about it? For me, it's really the, the complete lack of clarity you know, as to what's going on. Is it like, you know, is it his back problem? You know, is it a lack of motivation? Is it, you know, something to do with not taking the pay cut? You know, he was on the bench for the first few games after restart and then wasn't. So, you know, the, the, the lack of pay cut or the pay cut, the refusal to take the pay cut thing didn't have an impact on his inclusion in the squad in the in the first uh, few games of, of restart. So something else has happened. And I think for me, it's the... It's the the fact that this remains this sort of low-hanging cloud over everything that we do. So nobody is talking about Mesut Ozil when we beat Wolves or when we beat Norwich or when we've beaten Liverpool or when we've beaten Manchester City. There aren't these calls for him to be in. But, of course, when we play the way we do last night against a team like Aston Villa, who are 18th, who are scrapping for, you know, for their lives against relegation, but who are, with the greatest of respect to their fans, not a particularly great team. Arsenal had a lot of possession, but didn't do anything with it. You know, the, 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 the answer all of a sudden is, is Mesut Ozil. I, I think the answer is creativity, and it is addressing that lack of creativity in the squad. But, you know, it's hard to marry this a little bit with, with what Arteta said uh, maybe before the city game, or uh, you know, when it was put to him, you know, are you are you unhappy that you haven't got your team playing like Man City yet? And he was, well, look, you know, I've only got the players that I've got. I have to be pragmatic. My job is to win football games. I have to use what I have to win those football games, and that informs his team selection and all that kind of stuff. But even though he he recognizes and knows fine well there is a complete lack of creativity in the squad that that his team is crying out for it he knows Mesut Ozil as well as anybody else given how long he played with him he's still not using him so that that sort of tells you something about what's going on and that then leads into the frustration that we as fans you know aren't aware of the the big picture or or what what is really happening here because there's something going on there's, I mean, there's there's definitely something going on, and I find it really hard to kind of believe that some of the pressure isn't coming from above Arteta, because I mean, Emery basically said 
as much, right? I mean, he was pretty much went public and said that he was told not to pick him. The club seemed to not want to have him on the books for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and consequently, we're constantly making excuses as to why he's not in the side. I think what's really frustrating is that we there's no end in sight. I don't see Ozil really leaving this summer. I mean, if he really is doubling down on just sticking out his contract and he's fine with not really playing football, he's effectively mm. you know just existing at the club and we've got another... 12 months I I find it it's a, it's a really sad situation actually because that contract was given to a player who was potentially at the peak of his career you know World Cup winner you know really creative could have been the, the hub for another three years and almost immediately there was a downturn in form and almost immediately with all of the shifting that went on upstairs um, in the different positions and Wenger's exit and all the rest of it his stock fell and we obviously decided we can't afford to have him and at the same time we've never found a way to not not have him mm. so it's it's a, it's a situation all of our own making perhaps some of the people responsible aren't in the club anymore and it's an inherited mess but it's still a mess and it's just so it's so frustrating and it shouldn't really like it should arteta doesn't deserve it um he doesn't deserve to have to answer those questions every week because mm. ultimately he's not really responsible for that situation. If he's being, and I, I do feel like he's probably being told that there are, you know, reasons not to pick him. I don't know what those reasons are. You don't know what those reasons are. Um, it's weird. It's really weird. It is weird. I mean, I feel like if. Mikel Arteta really wanted to pick Mesut Ozil and thought that Mesut Ozil was a, a player he could use, he would. Like, I don't... I don't see that he would be dictated to by the executives on this one. Because ultimately, the first thing on which he is judged is results. And if he felt like he could get better results with Mesut Ozil in the team, he would pick him. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's something. Maybe he is hamstrung. Maybe he's got his hands tied behind his back. But, you know, as fans, whether you're an Ozil fan or you're not an Ozil fan, it remains a, a very frustrating situation. And look, I, I I don't think as a football club, it's something that we can continue for another 12 months. Whatever happens at the end of this season, I feel like some kind of solution has got to be found or some kind of explanation has to be made to to give some insight into the situation because it, it's kind yeah, of toxic I'm, isn't it i mean it's i mean maybe it's not toxic maybe that's the wrong word but it is it's like a cloud it's just hanging over us and and until such time as we move past it there's you know intermittent sunshine if you like i mean i think as a as a supporter base a large majority of the fans would quite happily just park it as a topic. But it is so often asked by the media of Arteta that it constantly returns to the top of the agenda. And, you know, here we are, you and I talking about it mm. now, because it's just there all the time. If Arsenal could somehow come out and explain why it was that they decided that they don't want to play uh, Ozil, mm. I think that would make life easier for for everybody but for whatever reason they don't feel that they can do that and yeah I mean as a consequence we're stuck in this kind of cycle um, yeah I, mm. I I mean look 
Ozil, again, let's just be clear, Ozil was not the reason why Arsenal lost to Aston Villa last night. Um, you know, we, 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 we have plenty of other issues um, and, and, and Ozil was just one part of those number of issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, know, he, I, th- I think fatigue massively played a part last night, for example. Sure. Um, I mean, I think there's a huge effort went into those games against Liverpool and City and there's a there's a an element of after the Lord Mayor show to the way that yeah. we played uh, in a way, but just sort of referencing the creativity element of things. And Arteta was asked about Ozil and, you know, he said, look, we played games without him. The answer isn't just a player. It's a collective of patterns that have to happen. And he talked about the lack of the final ball, etc., etc. But, you know, when he is... Um, discussing his plans for next season with Raul, with Edu, and whoever else is going to be involved in the the transfer business, it strikes me that creativity in midfield in particular is a key area um, that that Arsenal have to address. We all know that there are defensive issues and and everything else. We can see those, and, and we do have, you know, we did make a signing in January. We did bring in a centre-half in January who we haven't really seen a great deal of, so perhaps that's part of that rebuilding process. And we've got Saliba coming in, so that's another part of it. But creativity in wide areas and creativity in the centre of our midfield really feels to me like areas that, that have got to be addressed. You know, And I wonder if uh, part of what we might do is is look at one or two players in that midfield who who maybe we like, but but who have to go. I'm thinking a little bit of Lucas Torreira here, somebody who doesn't feel 100% part of the plans or even 100% settled and, and happy with life in England and at Arsenal. I don't mean to say he's unhappy or anything like it, but I just wonder, given the noises his agent has made a few times, whether you know, if a move to Italy uh, came uh, became available to him, he might decide that that's okay and Arsenal might decide that's okay and use that money to to invest in players who are who are different yeah I mean I think I think if um if a deal is done for Ceballos then Torreira might well question where he fits into that team on a regular basis because it seems pretty certain that you know Arteta wants to keep Xhaka um in the midfield as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was Torreira, I might be kind of wondering about that. I mean, a, a, a summer where you potentially sold or got rid of Guendouzi and Torreira to try and rebuild, I mean, that would have been almost unthinkable last summer, right? Mm. Um, despite some of the rumours going around with Torreira. Um, yeah, I look, a creative midfielder is definitely high up the agenda, for sure. I mean, I haven't really seen us linked with anyone in particular. Um, Coutinho that said I mean yeah he's well, not really a creative know, just, midfielder per se is he I mean he's not that yeah he's, he takes a risk I mean what I what we definitely need is someone who is able to play within the system but mm. is able to bring their own level of kind of creativity and spark and individualism to the role someone who actually might you know take a shot from the edge of the box for example which at the moment we seem kind of you know deathly shy of yeah um you know you only have to look at bruno fernandez at manchester united to kind of see how one single player can start to glue things together yeah um and he's been a really fantastic signing for united you know probably single-handedly helped drag them back up into the champions league places in the space sure. of six months and that's the kind of impact we need someone to come in and make 
and we've had that before with players. You know, we, you know, our Sharvin came in and had a kind of instant impact, got us into the top four. Um, obviously, tailed off, but Santi was a, a, a fantastic signing. Um, you know, we used to collect these guys: Nasri, uh, Rosicky. Uh, you know, you even had the creativity of Wilshire and Fabregas. Even Song was creative in his own ways. I mean, we used to just have such a bank of these players, and now we just do not. And it's going to take a few windows to build that back up again. And it's also probably going to take a few misses as well. I think we might well find ourselves looking for diamonds and, and, and coming up with, you know, pebbles sometimes. But mm. we can't afford to make too many mistakes because the money's going to be so tight. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And and look, we when we think about creativity, we think about passing range and vision and, and the ability to slide rule a ball between defenders. And that's great. You know, there are other ways to do it as well. I think uh, ball carriers, players who are comfortable traveling with the ball is another way of, of, uh, you know, changing the momentum of a game and finding space between the lines. And Wilshire was one of those players, as you you mentioned, um, who could sort of burst, you know, through the lines. Thomas Rosicki was a player like that. Um, And I was looking at Jack Grealish last night. I guess. Yeah. Go yeah, on. like Mkhitaryan and Iwobi would carry the ball as well. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, those skills, but better, if you like. Yeah, obviously, um, yeah, yeah. And I was looking at Jack Grealish last night, and I was thinking, wow, put that guy in our team, and it's immediately better. And it's not just because I love Jack Grealish's calves or anything like it. You know, a player who is brave, who's quick, who's good on the ball, who can pass it, who can run, who can dribble, you know, who's not afraid to take some chances. Um you know that 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 sort of character, that sort of um, ability, can really, really have a positive effect on a team's momentum. Absolutely, and I think when we signed Pepe, we were kind of hoping that he would bring that level of speed and skill on the break. You know, to become a transition side, we wanted someone who could carry the ball up the pitch, take on a player, and make a match-winning difference. And I guess he's kind of struggled to do that he's not as all action as Grealish I mean Grealish is sort of he's got the build of a almost a central midfielder almost like a kind of Jordan Henderson but with some of the skills of a, an intricate winger and I think that's a really interesting combination probably Grealish I see in the similar mould to Zaha you know a bit more rounded player um, whereas Pepe seems very very specific to that kind of role of playing on the right and cutting in onto his left foot mm. Um they're going to be expensive, though. I mean, even if I mean Villa are going to stay up now, so I'd be surprised if um, if they if if they want to let Grealish go. But um, I, I, there'd be a lot of clubs after him as well. I mean, there'd be plenty of teams, and you know, a player playing in England, the premium. I, I I think he would be out of reach for us now, which is a sad thing to state, really, because you know, mm. back in the day, I think he would have been very much the type of person who we could have got if we'd wanted. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't have a kind of long list of creative players that I feel like we could be going. You know, maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one. Yeah. they're few and far between. And if 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 they were, you know, if they were easy to buy, people would. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we're we're going to have to be. I think a bit inventive, a bit creative in the transfer market, and and maybe some some sort of knowledge of players, whether it's down the leagues or whether it's abroad or, or what have you, somebody perhaps that's not on, uh, you know, the, the list of many list of names that's going around in terms of who we might be after. But 
Um, yeah, so look... There, there, I mean, there on. is an outside chance, sorry, just quickly, that we could find those players internally. You know, I, well, I think Smith-Rose had a really go, yeah. interesting like, development period at Huddersfield. I do think that Saka can play something similar to that role as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, his physical development isn't done and dusted yet. He's still so young. Um, you know, I've almost forgotten that we have a, a Martinelli who is a game-changing player who can play with pace up front, mm. albeit not in midfield. Um, so there are there are sort of other players. You know, I still feel like there's more to get. Or there's obviously more to get out of Reese Nelson. Um, although I wonder whether he's been a bit too slow to make an impact, and he could find himself one of the people we sacrifice potentially just mm. because you know you could get money for him. But we may it may be that we have to look internally as much as we look kind of across the market. Well, yeah, I mean, purely from a financial point of view as well. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's no good case to be made in my mind anyway for spending, let's say, the money that you would have to 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 pay to bring Coutinho on loan. Uh, as a loan fee and then the wages that you would have to spend on Coutinho um, you know over the course of a season what, how much are you paying out for one season of a guy um, it, it just doesn't make any real sense um, so yeah I think the, the internal solutions might be the key or a cheap unknown kind of signing might be might be the way that we have to do it um, I like I like the idea of Smith Rowe I have to say I think he's he's impressed at, at Huddersfield and I'm curious, I'd be very curious to see what the plans are for him because, you know, when you send a player of his age out on loan, it's not sink or swim, but you're looking very closely at what he does and what he produces and how he plays. And it's not like I'm following a great deal of uh, Huddersfield Twitter or anything like it, but from what I've seen and from the, the various um, retweets and stuff that gets put into your timeline, they love him. And love the way um, that he's had an impact there since he since he joined in January. Yeah, I mean, I think Danny Cowley before he got sacked, the, the head coach, um, you know, he came out with a kind of interesting line of like, if I was a football fan, I'd be annoyed every time I take off uh, Smith Rowe. You know, he he was a huge fan. You know, he he sees something in a player, and this is one of the kids who you know he won the under seventeen World Cup with England. You know, he was part of that fated golden generation coming through the ranks who were supposed to be kind of England's future. Mm. Um, he's, he's, he's actually, he's been part of something, you know, I think he's got, you know, you, you don't get to that level and, and not kind of have what it takes. So technically he's there. Um, there were a few concerns, I think, when he first came into the Arsenal team about whether or not he might have the physicality to cope. But again, mm. he's still growing. And I think he really, I think he'll develop into a kind of Ramsey presence um, in terms of his physical build um, he's probably a bit quicker than, than Ramsey though and uh, the, there's something there and I hope that Arteta gets to have a really close look at him in pre-season and then we find a way to integrate him because you know he also strikes me as someone like Willock who will get in the box and we're just not getting people from midfield to run behind defences to add an extra layer and therefore an extra body in a dangerous position yeah um you know that 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 really is something that we've we've struggled for as well. What what did you make of the the substitutions that we made last night? Um, like you say, I think some of them were were a bit enforced. Shaka uh, mm. for Torreira at halftime, I understood. Um, what were the other ones? There was. I mean, Tierney came on. Tierney. Willock came on. 
Is it Tierney I mean, and Willock were... for... No, it was Tierney and... Pepe came on as Pepe well. Pepe came on, yeah, for Louise, which was a bit of... You know, I mean, I, I, I get that as well, because he just did, like, 90 minutes against City, 90 minutes against Liverpool, and he's 33 years of age. Um, so there's an element of protecting him in there as well. Um... I mean, we had a remarkable number of attacking players on the pitch by the end, wasn't it? It was Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Ketia, Pepe, um, all all on the pitch with Willock behind them, sort of playing as a could, right back because yeah, he came on for Cedric. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, exactly. The thing is, it was kind of let's just throw everyone on the pitch and see what happens. He knew that we were going to be left a bit more exposed at the back. Mm. We could have easily lost two nil. But he was obviously hoping that something might happen in the box. We might grab something. But it didn't seem at that point that there was much of a plan other than just keep getting it wide, try and get a ball into the box. Mm. Um, obviously, Nketiah came close with the header on the corner. But, I mean, that was the closest. And we didn't actually have a single shot on target. I mean, not a single shot on target mm. against Villa away. I mean, that's just... oh, That was what was really frustrating for me, is that you could kind of see every attack slowly slowly building in the same way and then Villa had no problems whatsoever clearing their lines and actually a bit like we did against City and Liverpool you start to take heart from that you start to realise oh hang on these guys don't actually have any other ideas if we just keep doing this we'll be okay yeah Um, yeah I mean this is a team with a goal difference of minus 26 this season, you know, so they 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 were in the relegation zone for a, for a good reason. There was nothing particularly challenging for the Villa defence last night. A lot of crosses, um, meat and drink, really, to Tyrone Mings and uh, the rest of the the defenders in there. You know, we don't really have an aerial threat. Aubameyang has scored some headers. Eddie had his header from a from a corner, I think it was. Um, but really, you know, you're throwing crosses into players who aren't really competitive in the air. Like if you've got a, an Olivier Giroud in there, for example, then by all means, banging cross after cross after cross. But I guess as well, it was a consequence of the way that Villa were playing. We just didn't have any other way of trying to get through them. And, you know, put it wide, put a cross in and see what happens rather than be, there being anything particularly deliberate about that. Um, Arteta afterwards seemed relatively sanguine about... The defeat, obviously not happy about it uh, in any way. Um, But as much as it's not a surprise to us, I can't imagine it's much of a surprise to him either. I think he looked knackered as well, actually. I think the emotions of the last week or so had got to him. And I I genuinely, he didn't seem as vocal on the sideline. Um, I think he asked a hell of a lot of his players last week. And... I think he always knew that the fatigue of playing every three days for this, you know, for two months was was going to catch up. And mm. I think maybe he was also a bit realistic that with things not in our hands, that if we did lose tonight, then you know, at least we had the FA Cup final. It was very much a, at least we've got the FA Cup final. Mm. Um, obviously, that's very risky. We were in a similar situation at the tail end of last season, weren't we? Where it was mm. all legs into the Europa League basket and hoping to qualify for the Champions League up against Chelsea, and it all went tits up. So they hopefully have learnt their lessons from that. But who knows? I mean, Chelsea are a, a difficult team to, to yeah. second guess, I think. Sometimes your eggs just end up in a basket, though. It's not like you're deliberately putting them there. I don't think there was a... 
I don't think it was, you know, the, the the fact that we lost to Aston Villa isn't really the reason why we didn't finish in the top six. You know, there have been too many other no. bad results this season. I think Arteta had to try and change things around last night. Just that's the reality of, of, of playing the way we played in the last couple of games. There's a consequence to that. And he also needs to ensure that he keeps players fit and, and everything else. Um, one, of, one of the questions that we got on the Arscast Extra about... Um, after the the City win and the Liverpool win was the danger, perhaps, of those on high seeing those kind of results and saying, well, maybe Arteta can do a lot more with these players. Maybe he can get more out of them, squeeze blood from a stone, if you like. Uh, but he said something interesting afterwards. We'll talk about the Cronkey the, the thing now in a moment. But he said... Um, there are going to be some ups and downs. Unfortunately, today is a down, but sometimes it's good to see the reality and then go uh, go again, move on, and improve. Which I thought... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Arteta is going to get caught up in his own hype, that's for sure. Um, he seems an intense realist, always demanding more. And I think it's not just around him, but around some of the players as well. I think the way that he kind of left Saka on the bench after um, he signed the new deal was interesting. You know, I just feel like there's 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 always a, a, a desire to temper um, things when he realizes that there are obviously this. You know, he's achieved nothing in the game. The squad achieved nothing really on the pitch. Um, they, they need to grow together. They need to build into this. Um, they'll get the plaudits when they really deserve it, but for the moment, it's it's yeah, they're they're, they're more firefighting, aren't they? Mm. Um, I, uh, I I I like that attitude from Arteta, though. You know, I I I think it's really really important to 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 put your hands up and say, look, we're we're not good enough, and then you know to praise certain things, but not all of the things when things go right. I mean, it's you know we live in a world where these things kind of are either black or white and most of the time things are grey and I think Arteta speaks in the grey for me um, yeah I, 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 we'll see I mean I think he, know, he knows where the, he knows where the gaps are he obviously knows we can all see it I mean we've spent 40 minutes talking about them now mm. um, I, I just think his attitude next season once he's had a transfer window behind him is going to be tested because obviously we don't know what we're going to do in the transfer window. He doesn't know whether he's going to get the backing that he needs financially. I say he gets the backing. I mean, whether the club can just afford it or not. Mm. Um, so he might get more frustrated next season. Um, I think his ideas are really, really good. I think he seems to speak as a coach very clearly and everybody understands what he's trying to do. But ultimately, you can't, you know you can't cook a, an amazing meal if you don't have amazing ingredients sometimes, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, he was asked about the uh, you know, the support from the club and there was a, a plain banner um, flown overhead for the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, it was one of the things that made me miss fans in the stadium because the noise of the plane was really, really irritating <laughs> without any cr- really without any crowd noise. But there you go. Anyway, the, the, the banner was um, back Arteta, cronky out. Um, I think back Arteta would have been quite sufficient there, to be honest. Um, you know, who who is supposed to back Arteta but the Cronkies in KSE? So, 
anyway, it's a confused message. But he was asked about it afterwards. I think he picked it up slightly wrong on Sky, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, it was... It, to say the banner was clumsily worded is an understatement. Um, and then I think the Sky reporter kind of ended a conversation with, you know, are you, are you getting the backing that you need or something? Mm. And he obviously very much took that in a completely different way to the way that the banner was maybe supposed to sort of mention, which is, I think the banner was basically saying, give Arteta the money that he needs to do his job. Right. Mm. But Arteta was basically interpreting the banner and the line of questioning as give him the support he needs on a day-to-day basis to do his job, which obviously he feels like he has, you know, he has a, a hierarchy of football executive committee and owners who actually are on the same page as him when it comes to the project that he's trying to, to undertake. Um, he also full well knows as most of us do that there are so many unknowns because of the COVID-19 situation and because of the fact that we don't know whether we're in Europe that, he can't. How could he possibly be angry with the club for for not having the solution to a problem which is affecting everybody? Mm. Um, so in that respect, I can understand. He sounded a bit kind of exasperated, a bit irked by it all last night. He was very keen to point out that he does have the support of the Cronkies. Mm. I think he's he was slightly worried, wasn't he, about the comments? Was it pre or post Liverpool, where it seemed to suggest that he was putting pressure on the board to give him the money to to buy the players, and he was kind of backed away from that. So that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was asked about that last night. I mean, I actually think that is kind of what he was doing. You know, he was making sure that nobody yeah, was maybe. under any illusions that that this is a squad that needs to be improved. It's not necessarily give me £200 million, but it's like, this is the reality of our situation and this is how we're going to be able to fix it or this is the way that we're, we're going to fix it. You know, what did he say? There's no magic beans or there's no magic whatever it was, you know. Um, mm. And he was asked again last night uh, about whether fans might have interpreted those comments as putting pressure on the club or, or suggesting that there was some kind of I think more what he's worried about is the idea that there is a, uh, a sort of a rift if you like or or a lack of cohesion or a lack of uh, people working together I think that's probably more what his concern is rather than the the concept of him putting pressure on those on high because I do think that's kind of what he's doing and what he said was I don't know if uh, if that's the impression it's not what I wanted to do I wanted to em- emphasize and I'll do it again that we need to improve in many areas the first of all is my responsibility to improve the team and everything with the mentality uh, after that we have certain areas that we need to get better the top teams in certain areas are better than us and we have to do that. So, you know, the messaging in terms of what his bottom line is, I don't think has, has shifted in any way. What he's doing is playing down the idea that there's disharmony at the club. Mm. The reality, of course, as he says later on, is, you know, the uncertainty is a reality. That's what he said about, you know, COVID-19, about finance, about money. We still don't know. You know, uh, without the FA Cup final, we would now have clarity over what we can do in the summer, what we what we can and can't do, because we would not be in Europe. We've still got another two weeks or whatever it might be before the FA Cup final. You know, the plan will change depending on what happens in, in that particular game. Yep, yep, yep. And I think, you know, I think one of the other 
big things of uncertainty is obviously the 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 Aubameyang thing, which again is money linked. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, there are obviously many many areas for this side to improve. I, I get slightly worried about the idea that saying eighth is our reality or something to that effect because this Arsenal team were very close to coming fourth last year and spent money and improved and have underperformed hugely partly because we had a terrible coach in the first six months of the season Mm. Um, but we are I refuse I refuse to believe that we are a worse team than Sheffield United that we are a worse team than this current Spurs outfit that we're a worse team than Wolves um, I think those teams have got some good ingredients there and, and in a couple of cases, decent coaches, uh, not Mourinho. Um, but, you know, th- th- it's more the gap on the top, top teams, um, you know, that obviously Arteta is concerned about. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm deeply frustrated that, you know, we've come out of lockdown in ninth and we're probably going to finish the season in potentially ninth. Mm. Um, you know, that... That for me is frustrating. Even if we win the FA Cup, um, and it's been such a weird path along the way, you know, winning games we probably wouldn't have expected to win, and losing ones that we we did. It's just so weirdly inconsistent. Very, very us at the moment, um, and it makes it oh quite frustrating as a supporter because every time that you feel like you're going in the right direction, we kind of yank it and go in the other. And I know that Arteta says that it's good to be reminded of, you know. That, that, that things are not completely right but god it makes it emotionally draining as a supporter you never quite feel like you can fully commit to anything even if it's just we score a goal you think we're going to concede five minutes later or mm. uh, you win a game you think straight away we'll lose the next one um it's yeah oh, i'm very tired of this season very very tired oh absolutely i'd be more than happy to draw a line under it now on sunday um against watford I think I've, you know, had my fill of this particular Premier League season, and obviously I'm, I'm hopeful and, uh, you know, really keeping my fingers crossed that we can do what we need to do in the FA Cup. And I, I you know, I completely see your point. I just feel like the, the circumstances of this season make it so difficult. I mean, you can. I am frustrated by what's happened since lockdown because there have been games, like you say, we should have done better in. I just feel like everything is a consequence of what came before, in a way. Uh, that every time we, we, you know, we stumbled, and every time we seem to get back on our feet, we stumble again in some way or another. You know, it's a consequence of squad building. It's you know the the, the just the, the the really surreal nature of this season makes it hard for me to get like super angry about it or mm. or anything else. I mean, I think I'm I'm prepared to to look at next season as as a time when we can properly start um i don't mean to say judging or being critical or anything like that but getting a better idea of what what we're actually capable of and what this team and what these players are capable of but you know as arteta said afterwards he said the table doesn't lie the table doesn't lie and you know maybe we're not a maybe we should be a better team than sheffield united or wolves but the table doesn't tell us that this season, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it really is down to what happens in this this off-season uh, to sort of kickstart where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, I guess for Arteta coming in in January, the whole time he's been looking at the summer 
as the opportunity to kind of put his stamp on things, I guess. And it looks like he's going to be far more involved in a transfer recruitment process than Emery mm. ever tried to be, um, or even if he did try to be, tried to assert himself in. It feels to me that, you know, he's Arteta's building a relationship with Edu and they're trying to... Be, it feels they should be on the same page. The worrying thing is this Jarabchian super agent link stuff, which doesn't tally for me with what Arteta says. Like, I don't see if we've got this scouting system across the world and we've got very specific needs to improve certain players in positions to play a very specific system that he wants to play, how how we can then be sort of just buying guys off the bloke who you know happens to know the technical director and the football mm. man, you know football operations manager and stuff that that bit really grates with me at the moment and i'm hoping that there's a way around that and that we'll see something in the transfer market which isn't that yeah um but time will tell time will tell time will tell okay i mean there is andrew still the possibility of this season ending with success with happiness with a trophy with european football and amazingly, there is the scenario, isn't there, where we could deny Tottenham European football? Yep. So if Spurs finish in seventh, which they look destined to do mm-hmm. in the FA Cup, we take that last Europa League spot, um, which obviously I want to happen so much. But I'm so <laughs> scared to invest in yeah. that happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. That the prospect of it not it's just if anything it just sort of doubles up on the misery of us losing that day um, because Spurs will have an extra thing to celebrate mm. and it's we're just teetering on the edge it's too much for me to get <laughs> excited about because for all of the reasons I've mentioned you know I'm very damaged by this season you know it's just been and it's not just this season it's been a kind of mm. you know, a, a long long 15 years um, but Yes, obviously that would be unbelievable and beers will be drunk if we win. Mm. And, um, I mean, it would be a massive shame that obviously the fans won't be there and there'll be no kind of parade because we missed out on a parade in 2017 as well. Um, all of the stuff that makes you be a fan and sort of creates the memories that stick with you for the rest of your life just aren't going to be there. So it's so important we win but it's going to be weird if we do and it's going to be terrible if we don't yeah I think you'd nearly rather play a good team than a team you know like Villa for example you know where where you know you, yeah, your, I mean, your shortcomings no are exposed being up for it yeah Exactly, exactly. Anyway, look, FA Cup chat is something that we will do, I'm sure, next week in the build-up to, to the game and to the final. Uh, but we will uh, we'll leave it there for today. Of course, not the most um, cheery and upbeat podcast, but there you go. That is the reality of our situation and the situation that Mikel Arteta and those above him have got to fix uh, when this season ends. But let's hope it does end with a trophy. Andrew, thank you very much. Thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at AAllenSport, at AAllenSport, and you can uh, subscribe to the Left Field Podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Feels a bit like a, a problem shared is a problem halved kind of conversation in that one, but what can you do after a game against Aston Villa in which you lose? It's not going to be exactly the uh, cheeriest podcast of all time, especially if it just reinforces stuff that you've seen all season which needs to be addressed but hopefully that's something that Mikel Arteta and the executive team can do uh, when this particular season ends and the transfer window opens which it does on July 27th so that's like Monday so you know get busy guys get busy Raul get busy Edu get your get your fucking checkbooks out buddies um we will have another Arscast for you on Friday, uh, looking ahead to the final weekend of the, the Premier League season. And of course, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Just to point out, there won't be an end bit in this particular podcast. Sometimes I just don't have it in me. Sometimes it just doesn't feel appropriate either. And this isn't really a real Arscast, even though it is. It's sort of a bonus episode, um, which I hope you've enjoyed, despite the fact that it hasn't been um, the most upbeat one of all time. I'm going to leave it there for now. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.